Amen. Amen. Well, hey, you guys. Uh, number one, thank you for that birthday song. That was really, really sweet. You guys are amazing. And I want you to know that, honestly, there is no place I would rather be on my birthday. Um, that I'm 36 today, uh, which is like crazy old for me. I'm 36, but I'll be honest with you guys. Like, I'm just honored to be here to talk to you guys, to tell you guys about Jesus, to share this weekend together. And, and I was so excited to come up because I just love the Hume staff and what they're doing. Annalisa and Corey and Tim and the whole team back there, your red coats. Can we just thank them for putting on this weekend for us? They're so amazing. And, and then when I found out that Temi Tape was going to be our worship leader with Jerome and his team, can we thank them for leading us in worship? What a powerful, powerful time. And so, man, it's just, it's been so good to be with you guys and to see so many of you respond last night, to see so many of you make a decision, maybe for the first time, to say yes to Jesus. Maybe, maybe some of you decided last night to, to run home. You've been running from God, and you chose to run home to God, and you received just his, his embrace and his grace and his love for you. And Maybe some of you were courageous enough to say, look, I, I have some big questions, and instead of just continuing to go about my life and ignore these really important questions, I'm going to start asking them. I'm going to get to the bottom of my big questions. I'm so proud of you for that. And then for those of you last night who said, I'm sensing that God is calling me deeper, that he is putting something on my heart, something he wants me to do. The fact that you raised your hand and said, I'm going to trust God even when it's scary, and I'm going to take that step of faith, that was absolutely inspiring. But as Temi Tape was talking about, um, you know, we're about to leave Hume Lake, that we're about to go back into our homes, into our families, into our friendships, back to our schools, back to life as it was before we left for camp. But friends, make no mistake about it, we've encountered Jesus. Timmy Tape, he said it again, he said, when we encounter Jesus, everything changes. And that's so true. And so when we head back down the mountain or just over the way for Church of the Woods, that when you guys head back to your homes, you are different people. Those homes, those families, those experiences, those schools, they may not have been changed in the process, but you have been changed this weekend. And so the question is, where do you go from here? Camp for me is so personal because camp changed my life. That God used camp and the local church to radically change my life. I told you I was going to a freshman summer camp uh, I was going to a Christian summer camp my freshman year, wanted nothing to do with God, met God, and everything's been different since. And I remember as a high school student, as I began to discover what it meant to not just kind of profess a faith in Christ inwardly, but begin to live publicly, begin to let his love for me transform the way in which I lived outwardly, things started to get a little interesting. I remember... One morning, I was walking to school, and as I was walking to school, I was just praying. I said, Lord, my life belongs to you. Today belongs to you. It's not about building my kingdom. It's not about people thinking anything about me. It's not about my reputation. My life is about you. Use me in any way that you want today. And I got to my first period class, which was conceptual physics. 
it's like a fancy name for people who struggle with math like me, okay? So that's the class I was in. And I was sitting in conceptual physics. We could kind of sit wherever we wanted. And I remember sitting down, and the girl who sat next to me, her name was Heidi. And we had a substitute teacher that day, and, and our substitute teacher said, hey, I just want you for this whole class period to just focus on the projects that you guys are already doing. And so as I kind of opened up my binder and started to prepare to work on my projects, Heidi turned to me. And here's what you need to know about Heidi. Heidi was the president of the witchcraft club on our campus. I didn't go to a Christian school. Witchcraft club on our campus. And at that time, I was the president of the Bible club on our campus. And Heidi turned to me. And she said, I don't get it. Why do you even believe in Jesus? And you guys, everything in me wanted to run away from that conversation. Everything in me felt ill-prepared, unequipped, uneducated, didn't have all the right answers, was uncertain how to answer this. But I remembered that I had prayed that morning, God, use my life in any way that you want to. And so I began this conversation with Heidi, and I just shared my testimony with her. I shared my story. I shared why I believed in Jesus. And i got to be honest with you. I don't remember a lot from high school. I don't remember my SAT scores. I don't remember the sports games. I don't remember what me and my friends ate for lunch. I don't remember the stupid jokes that we played on each other. I don't remember the songs that were playing during the dances. I don't remember who won all the competitions. But I will never forget Heidi. I remember one day walking to school and praying, God, would you use my life? My life is yours. Do whatever you want with it today at school. And as I was walking to lunch, I noticed this guy sitting by himself in our quad area. And I kept walking, and I just felt like God told me, I, I want you to go talk with him. And I remember in that moment going, that is weird. People don't do that in high school. You don't just go talk to an absolute stranger. That is absolutely weird. God, no, I'm not going to do that. And I felt like God said, just go. And so I walked over to him, and, and I said, hey, it's, uh, it's nice to meet you. My name's Eric. What's your name? And, and he reached into his backpack, and he pulled out a notepad and a pen, and he started writing some stuff down. And then he handed it to me, and it said, hi, my name is Joe. I'm deaf, so I don't like to talk, but we can write. For a month, Joe and I ate lunch together every single day. He shared with me why he was an atheist. He talked about how the fact that he couldn't hear and had a difficult time communicating with people made him believe that there wasn't even a God, and if there was, God certainly didn't love him. And for a month as a high school student, I tried to, the best I could, articulate my faith and why I believed Jesus loved him. And again, I don't remember all the things of high school. I don't remember the yearbooks and who all signed my stuff. I don't remember the things that seemed so stressful in that moment. But I will never forget Joe. I remember when I was flying to uh, go look at different colleges. I flew to Spokane, Washington to check out a school, and, and as we were flying home, my buddy Josiah and I were flying together, and we had to fly from Spokane, Washington to Seattle, and then Seattle to L.A. And on the flight from Spokane to Seattle, there was hardly anybody in that plane, and yet they told us, you need to sit where you're assigned seating for like the balance of the plane. 
And so we walked in, and there's probably, you know, 50, 60 seats on this plane. There were only about 10 of us on this flight. And yet, just as God would have it, I was stuck in a middle seat. My buddy Josiah was next to me by the window. And then this gentleman sat next to us named Abe. And I remember looking around the plane and being like, can't we spread out? I mean, we can lay across the aisle here. But then I remember Abe getting out a, a magazine and he started to kind of look through it. And as my eyes glanced at the magazine, I realized this was not a magazine I wanted to spend any time looking at. I remember Abe putting that away and then we started talking and he shared about how he used to be a Christian. How he used to follow Jesus, how he grew up in the church, but had since just fallen away. And I remember praying and, and, and asking God, God, I wish I had something to give him. I wish I had a Bible or a book or, or, or something that I could give him to encourage him to reconnect with God. Well, by the time we landed in Seattle, I asked Abe if he wanted to eat dinner with us in the airport before we caught the plane. And he was going also to L.A. And so we stopped in the Seattle food court. And it's a giant food court. We all get our own food and we sit down at a center table and not a few minutes into that dinner, all of a sudden this man walks up behind me dressed in all black and taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around and he just looks at me like square in the eye, doesn't say his name, doesn't introduce himself, hands me something that's wrapped in a bag and says, God told me to give this to you. And so I kind of take it and I... I, I, I mean, this is weird, right? And I remember Abe looking at me and he goes, does this happen to you all the time? And I was like, never, this is weird. I don't know what this is. Who knows? And so I remember opening it up. And it was a book that I had given to about five other people that Christmas season who were in the same situation as Abe, disconnected from God. And I felt like this book could be a helpful tool in helping someone reconnect with God. By the time I realized it, I looked back and the guy dressed in all black was gone. Well, we have to rush to our flight and so I, I sit down, I'm finally in our seat on the plane and, and all of a sudden all the pieces are connected. I'm going, this book was not for me, this book is for Abe. That God used this guy to give me this book to give it to Abe, to show Abe that he loves him. And so I, I, I remember, uh, I was like, I, I want to write this guy a note in the book. And so I, I reached into my backpack, and there was no pen in my backpack at all that I, I couldn't write a note. And I just thought, wow, God, you're really moving here. And so I prayed. I said, God, would you put a pen in my backpack so that I could write a note to this guy? And I reached in my backpack, and guess what happened? There was no pen. No pen at all. No pen at all. There was no pen in my backpack. I felt like God was like, I don't need you to write a note, okay? I don't need you to write a note. So once the plane lands, I walk up to Abe and I go, Abe, I know this sounds absolutely crazy, but I think God wants you to have this book. And I think God wants you to know that he loves you. You see, I have a few of these moments in my life that if I'm confessing something to you, I wish there were far more. In fact, I think there are a lot of moments in my life where God is saying, I want to use you. I want you to do something bold. I want you to trust me. I want you to step out. And yet I'm so quick to fear, so quick to thinking, what if these people think I'm weird? What if it doesn't go well? 
But I'm reminded after weekends like this that after you have a true encounter with the living God who died for your sins and rose from the dead, who has all power and authority for all of eternity, we can't go wrong following him. So what I want to talk about as we close our time together is this. I want to help us answer this question. How do we live in a way that reveals Jesus to the world? My hope is this last message is very practical. I want to give you some tools, some suggestions, some ideas from God's word, from our anchor text, Ephesians chapter 4, on how you and I can go back to our homes, back to the places that God has us, and reveal Jesus to the world. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Mary Did You Know. Anybody like that song? Anybody love? I love Mary Did You Know. I was thinking about it recently, though. Like, that song is all about asking the question, Mary, did you know what Jesus was going to become? Did you know who Jesus would be? How aware were you of what was really going on? And I started to think about this question. You know, there's, there's a more important question for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and it's this. Church, did you know? Church, did you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? That Mary gave birth to Jesus and watched him live in the world, probably asked lots of questions of who he would become, what he would be, making sense of all the prophecies. But church, did you know that the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit literally lives inside of you? And if that's the case, then we have what it takes in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to the world. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not an accident. You are not a waste of space. The purpose of your life is not to be used by another person. The grand purpose of your life is to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and to lead you and to guide you everywhere you go. And so number one, number one, how do we live in a way that reveals Jesus to the world? Number one is this, committing to community reveals Jesus. First big idea is this. Committing to community reveals Jesus. Ephesians 4.25 begins like this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Paul, in almost every one of his letters, emphasizes this big idea that no matter what culture you're a part of, no matter what ethnicity you're a part of, no matter what upbringing you've had, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whatever religion you've come from, if you are in Christ, you are a body. You know, one of the, one of the, um, one of the accusations against Christianity going on in our culture right now is unfortunately, ignorant people will say something like, well, Christianity is a white man's religion. And that could not be farther from the truth. In fact, if you follow the statistics, atheism is a white man's religion. 
Christianity, however, is the most diverse religion that's ever existed. It spans every country, continent, every culture. It's unbelievable how the gospel message literally went to all peoples, all tribes, all nations. And as Timmy Tape beautifully said, that we for all of eternity will be surrounded by brothers and sisters of different ethnicities and cultures and nations and backgrounds and languages, and we will be unified because Christ is at our center. Students, would you say that you're unified with even your youth group, with your church, with the different generations in your church? There's a story of a a man who stopped going to church, and and pastor would come and visit him, and he just said, I don't have time for church, I don't have time for church. And one day the pastor came over, and and the guy was telling him, yeah, I just don't have time for church. And the pastor walked over to the fireplace where there were all of these burning red-hot coals. And while the guy was talking about all of his excuses for why he couldn't be committed to his church, the pastor used the tongs and grabbed one of those red-hot coals and just put it on the outside of the fire. And within minutes, that coal that was once blazing red-hot on fire was cold. You see, there's something powerful that happens when the body of Christ remains unified. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone, but you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. So yeah, you're saved by faith alone in Christ. But if you are not connected to the body of Christ, you'll be like a severed limb that has very little chance of survival without the community. You see, there's no such thing as an only child in the family of God. Maybe you're an only child in your family, but in the family of God, we are all brothers and sisters, which means we don't gossip about each other. It means we don't take advantage of each other. It means we've got to set an example for the world of how we love each other, even when it's difficult. Even when we don't want to. Even when that person has wronged us or hurt us, we have to pursue community together because we are not only children in God's family. We are brothers and sisters. Number two. Dealing with your stuff reveals Jesus. Number two, dealing with your stuff reveals Jesus to the world. Our text continues, verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been, sorry, just end right there. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. For many of us, relational wounds are the greatest source of pain in our life. And here Paul says, if you want want your life to count, if you want your life to reveal Jesus to the world, you've got to deal with your stuff. You've got to deal with your pain, with your anger. 
You've got to address these things. And, and oftentimes we're hurt because of something someone else has been done, some sin that they've committed against us. And Jesus directly talks about what we are supposed to do. Jesus was incredibly practical with what it meant to follow him. In his own words, Jesus said this in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. He didn't say start posting on Instagram about them. He, he didn't say start talking with everyone that you're sitting at the lunch table with about how horrible they are. He didn't say gossip with anybody who will listen. Jesus said, if somebody has wronged you, go directly to them. And then he continues to give suggestions, his wisdom on how to handle that. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus says, if, if it's not working as you're going directly to that person, bring someone else wiser into the conversation. Bring a small group leader, a youth pastor, somebody who can help. The point is always reconciliation. And then when Jesus says, and if none of that works, you treat him like a pagan or a tax collector, just ask yourself the question, how did Jesus treat pagan and tax collectors? He loved them. He hoped and prayed they would choose to surrender their lives to God. You see, forgiveness and being willing to forgive is so massively important. There's a woman named Corey Ten Boom who had been imprisoned with her family by the Nazis for giving aid to Jews early in World War II. Her elderly father and beloved sister, Betsy, died as a result of the brutal treatment they received in prison. God sustained Corey through her time in a concentration camp. And after the war, she traveled throughout the world testifying to God's love. In her book, The Hiding Place, she wrote about a remarkable encounter she had in Germany. Listen to these words from a woman who endured the horrific evil and brutality of the concentration camps and who lost her sister and her father because of how they were treated in those camps. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw her. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing. Betsy's pain blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that as you say, he, talking about Jesus, has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale about the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of that. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? 
Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, and I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so, again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, and the mo- as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love for self. After I shared this at church one Sunday, a man came up to me with tears in his eyes and he said, when my mom was on her deathbed passing away, she said one final thing to me and it was this, forgive everyone. Forgive everyone. Forgive everyone. This mom who had lived a long life looked in the eyes of her son and just repeated the same thing three times and then passed away. Why is forgiveness so important? To help me with this, can I get my Church of the Woods friend up here with me real quick? Can you guys come over here? Okay, come on up here, guys. Here, I want each of you to hold, here, you hold on to that one, hold real tight. Okay, why don't you, one of you guys come over here. You hold on to that one real tight, and why don't you hold on to that one real tight. Quick, quick, come on, let's see. Here we go. All right. All right, here we go, here we go. So you guys are holding on tight. Here's the thing about unforgiveness. Here's the thing about not being willing to forgive, is that unforgiveness has a bunch of ugly friends that tag along. Unforgiveness has the ugly friends of resentment and bitterness and cynicism and and shame and rage and, and vengeance. Those are the ugly friends of unforgiveness. And the problem is the longer you choose to not forgive, the more difficult it to live the life that God has invited you to live in. You see, the, the, these represent the ugly friends of unforgiveness. And the problem is, if you're not willing to forgive, as you're kind of going about your life and trying to walk around, they're not going to let you go. I'm going to try to walk down this aisle, and you guys try to stop me, okay? You go over here, I'm going to try to walk down this aisle. Yeah. As I'm trying to move forward, as I'm trying to have a healthy relationship, as I'm trying to hear God's voice, the ugly friends of unforgiveness keep getting in the way. And I might use words, and maybe you have too. Well, resentment and bitterness, they're holding on to me. It's like they've got a hold on my life, and I can't move forward. Friends, did you know that in the ancient Greek language, the word forgive literally means to let go. 
It means to send away. And maybe bitterness and resentment aren't holding on to you, but maybe you're holding on to them. And I can only imagine that in a room this size, some of you have experienced a lot of pain. And there's probably good reasons that you feel the bitterness and the resentment and the anger that you do. But hope you'll think about this and remember that they are not helping you. And that the pathway forward to healing, to being free, it begins with the first step is to forgive. Is to let go. Whether you can say to that person or not to say, I am no longer going to allow that sin that spilled over into my life, that hurt that was caused me, I'm no longer going to allow that to keep me from moving forward. To, to keep me from being intimate with God, to keep me from being close with other people. Because it's been my experience that resentment and bitterness and anger and cynicism, they do not go away. How do you move forward? You begin by choosing to forgive. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Thank you, guys. Number three, setting an example with your life reveals Jesus. Verses 28 to 31, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. You see, what you do with your hands and what you say with your mouths tells a watching world what you actually believe about Jesus. I just want to ask you some uncomfortable questions that are just as uncomfortable for me, and it's this. If you couldn't speak for a whole day, would anybody know you're a Christian? If you couldn't speak for a whole day, by the way you live your life, would anybody know that you're a Christian? Or how about this? If we all could only hear what you and your friends talk about, would anyone know that you are a Christian? You see, one of the dangers of coming to a camp like this is we can have an incredibly significant, meaningful interaction with Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, and think, think we're all good. Think everything's okay. Thinking nothing more needs to happen. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The danger of camp can be we may have had a very profound, significant encounter with Jesus where it feels like we're looking at him face to face, but we have still left him on the doormat. 
Jesus is not interested in being left on your doormat. He is not interested in you just once in a while opening the door at camp or at youth group, gazing at him, having an experience with him and saying thanks and closing the door and going back to life as you knew it. Now the text says that Jesus, he wants to come inside your heart. He wants to set up shop and at the end of the day, he is going to ask you for the keys But friends, I can tell you he is a far better homeowner than you or I could ever be. You see, one of the greatest threats to the gospel advancing is people who know the gospel but don't live it out. That's one of the greatest threats to the advancement of the gospel is people who know it but don't live it. And then lastly, number four, how do we reveal Jesus to the world? Number four. Building God's kingdom, not your own, reveals Jesus. Building God's kingdom, not your own, reveals Jesus. Our last verse, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Friends, Jesus will never ask you to do for another that which he has not already done for you. And it may be so difficult to imagine forgiving that person, but remember, this is how we think gospel. Is that when we're we're sensing God is leading us, it is time to forgive that person. What is your fuel? What is your source to help you with that? It's remembering that God forgave you. When you sense that you get home and you live with somebody who feels like an enemy or there's someone at school who feels like an enemy and and, and you want to respond with violence, whether verbally or physically, how do you love your enemies? You remember that God loved you when you were still his enemy, when you were running away from him. You see, Jesus will never ask you to do for another that which he has not already done for you. And if you'll choose to share Jesus with people, if you'll choose to be about building his kingdom, letting go of your own, you and your community will reveal Jesus to the world. I'll close with one last story. Uh, A year ago, actually, almost to the day, a year ago, my wife Sarah and I were in Mexico, and I was officiating a wedding. And as we were flying home from the wedding, remember it was about maybe a three-hour flight. We were about two hours into that flight. And as I was kind of listening to some music and just kind of sitting there, I was in the middle seat, and my wife Sarah was right here, and there was another person sitting next to me. I felt like God told me, I want you to turn to the guy sitting next to you, and I want you to tell him that I love him. I don't know why this happens on planes. It just is where it happens sometimes. And I remember saying, God, I don't want to do that. It's weird. We're all wearing masks. Like, if it doesn't go well, I'm stuck here. Like, I can't move anywhere else. Like, this is not. And, And I remember making this deal with God. I was like, God, he has been on his phone the entire two hours. He's been on his phone playing this game for two hours. And with my eyes closed, I said, God, if he puts his phone down, I'll take that as a sign that you actually want me to do this. And so I opened my eyes, and he was still on his phone. 
And I thought, yes, it wasn't for me. This is for somebody else. And so I turned over to my wife, and Sarah was working on something, and so I was helping her. And right as I was turning over, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this guy for the first time spit down his cup. And I got to be honest, and this is shameful to me as a pastor, even as a Christian. I was like, oh, man. Like, I was like, oh, it's so, no, I did not. But I turned to him, and I introduced myself, and his name was Jose. And I said, Jose, I know this sounds weird, but I was just, I was just sensing that God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. And Jose starts, like, tearing up. And, and Jose begins talking really loudly. Like, you know when you're trying to have a conversation on a plane, you don't want anyone else to hear? Jose has no idea about that. He was just at the top of his lungs talking to me. And he's going, Eric, I, I've had, he literally said, he said, I've had five moments in my life where I was almost at the end of my rope, and God showed me and reminded me in each one of those moments that he loved me, and right now I'm in one of those places, and this is another reminder that God loves me. And he continued that conversation. And I thought to myself, man, what if, what if God has so much more in store for each one of us that he is inviting us into his adventure of telling the whole world the greatest story of all. And it's that we don't have to run and hide anymore, but that we could be embraced by the master craftsman, by the one who's recrafted us, who's given us salvation and forgiveness and purpose and meaning. I read on Twitter once this quote that said, start, start living today the stories you want to tell on your 83rd birthday. And the thing is, I, like, like, I love movies. I struggle to read, so I read Twitter and tell people I like to read. So that's what I was doing. I was reading Twitter. And that quote stuck with me. What if we started living today in Christ the stories that we want to tell on our 83rd birthday? Because you and I, we're going to have stories to tell. But today and right now, we get to decide what will those stories be. Will they be stories about our kingdom, about our achievements, about the money we made, about the things that we did, about the parties that we went to, about the things that we consumed, about the people we slept with? Or will our stories be about one hero, one God of the universe, Jesus Christ, who changed the course of history and changed the trajectory of our life and whom we will have the privilege of spending all of eternity with. And friends, let me just tell you, those are better stories. And that's a better way to live. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great privilege that it has been to be here with each one of these students and churches and leaders. God, I thank you that your word, written thousands of years ago, continues to be so relevant for us today. And God, I pray that we would leave this camp not as people who merely had a good time, 
or had some emotional experiences, who, who even grew in our knowledge and insight of you, God. But would we leave as people transformed by the gospel? And will we choose to give up our lives that we might tell your story to a world that so desperately needs it? Jesus, I thank you for the eternal impact that I know is coming from each one of these students and leaders and pastors here. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.